Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. All right. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. And uh, it is another wonderful day on Periscope. Thank you to so many folks that jumped in there. If you're just tuning in on the radio program, we start on Periscope Live at Eagle Ed Martin. You can go there. And we start actually with a prayer intention today. Uh, one of our great listeners was asking us to pray for General Mike Flynn. And I know that General Flynn's uh, sister lives down in the San Diego area near where our show originates and so we wish her well barbara is her name and certainly pray for that family and so we're glad to do that but what you need to know today this is the what you need to know you know it's the number one thing i encourage you again go to edmartinlive.com and sign up for uh, email blast it goes out every single morning you can get it and it will tell you 5 a.m it comes to you uh east coast west coast times 8 a.m if you're on the east coast and it'll go right in your inbox it'll tell you what you need to know some key links some follow-up a lot of the um Things I'm working on and ideas I have. You know, someone mentioned earlier today, I think it's a good insight. There's so much media, so many people who repackage what they read and see. And it's really not that valuable anymore. You know, it's just not that valuable for me to tell you uh, all the facts. What you need and what you need to know is direction. You need leadership. You need people to analyze what's going on. That's what we do here. That's what the Pro-America Report is for. We look at what's going on in the world. We look at what's going on in our country, and then we analyze it so you understand what's happening and so you can spread the word. So uh, listen, what you need to know today, I want to pull it back and tell you, first of all, let me ask you to guess, how many words do you think there are in the Pledge of Allegiance, the Great Pledge of Allegiance I'll watch for some comments on uh, on a Periscope and see if anybody jumps in and comments on that uh, in a moment. But the Pledge of Allegiance, which you know, I'm going to put out in my email. Again, go to edmartinlive.com and sign up, and uh, you'll get it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to ask folks to email their memory, best memory, uh, worst memory, I suppose, most frequent memory of the Pledge of Allegiance. For my part, I remember it most vividly as a very young boy when I first went to school that I remember uh, away from my parents. I, so I think I went to a nursery school at the local church, kind of part-time, but I believe I went to first grade was my first school. Could have been, could have been, it must be first grade I'm remembering. I'm not sure about when it was, but I remember vividly in first grade, and I think it was Miss Karosik was the name of the, uh, of the teacher, and we would stand up at the beginning of the day and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I can picture those first weeks of school looking at my classmates and thinking, wow, what is this. We all stood up. We all said the Pledge of Allegiance together. And it was a powerful memory. And in that same school, years later, probably five years later, six years later, I guess it could have been a few more than that, in the same school, not in the classroom, but in the schoolyard in front of that school, we had um, uh, President Reagan then the sitting president come to our little town and I only saw him from a distance. But I also remember at the beginning of the ceremony, it was a, it was a, a speech and before it, there was a, either an award ceremony or some kind of 
They said the Pledge of Allegiance. And I remember as a little boy that Reagan is there, the president's there, and all this pomp and circumstance. The most interesting detail of that was our next-door neighbor who was a federal law enforcement agent, not a Secret Service agent. I don't know what branch or division he was in. He worked in Newark, New Jersey. But he was drafted, as all cops and security are when the president comes to town. And so he was working that day. So I remember seeing Reagan. I can picture this Pledge of Allegiance with Reagan there. And then I can picture Mr. Galapo. God rest his soul. He, d- he died a few years ago across the way who was working. And it was so strange because he was kind of a baseball coach and a guy around town. He's kind of off the stage. So anyway, that's my first memory of the Pledge of Allegiance. Here's why I tell you that. Because as we're going forward in this country, in these hard decisions, and we're talking all about that all the time, right? We go to, the, we go to uh, President Trump's um, fireside chats each night. If you don't attend, you read about it all night into the next day. You get all this information. There's so many things happening. There's so many arguments about the size and scope of what should be the, the uh, reopening, how you should do it, debates. on. We've we got plenty of time to do that. We're doing a lot of it. As we come out of it, we need some unifying things that pull us together as a country. You know, yesterday I mentioned, I got a great response from many of you. I mentioned that this great pause we've had to fight the virus, and now we're headed to the great restart, and we're going to do something special. It's going to be extraordinary. All that's wonderful. And yesterday I was praising the fact that the president has decided to pause, to cease immigration for a while, and I argued that was necessary in part to assimilate, to have us get used to being American, pull together. Well, we need some tools. We need some uh, parts of how we're living that bind us together. You know, we need some things that pull us together. And my argument would be, you know, uh, my favorite movie is uh, called Yankee Doodle Dandy. It stars James Cagney as George M. Cohen. That's my favorite movie of all time. It's extraordinary. George M. Cohen was one of the most extraordinary American storytellers and, and, and composers and just extraordinary. And, and, and James Cagney is a phenomenal actor, was a phenomenal actor. And in that role as George M. Cohen, is unbelievable. So if you ever want to see a great movie, Yankee Doodle Dandy, just phenomenal. But the reason I tell you that is because in that period... Uh, after World War One, there was a series of uh, of plays and songs that became. Oh, there's a comment from one of us in Spanish class. Our teacher had us memorize the Pledge of Allegiance to say in every class. So good for you. Uh, those are comments in the uh, in the in the. Um uh, in the comments on the per- Periscope for the... No, it's not 27 words. It's 31 words. Someone asked what, how many words in the Pledge of Allegiance. 31 was 29 until we added under God in the, uh, in the middle of the last century. But um, So here's what I'm saying. In the George M. Cohen era, now back when, not, not when the movie was made, but back when he was writing plays, he united a lot of us around songs. Yankee Doodle Dandy was a song. Over There was a song about the war. There was a unifying set of, of um, messages and sounds and images that pulled people together. And right now, my fear is that in this country, we're, you know, we have some things that are pulling us together. We're all in the same boat. The enemy's the same. There's this dastardly virus, all that kind of stuff. But there's lots of things that are fragmenting us. It's not enough to have really cool TikTok videos or to have really good Instagram photos or to have really good uh, short videos or even periscopes. It, it's good. It's helpful. It unites certain communities. You know, we've got all these people that watch our periscopes that listen to this uh, radio program that are together. But you want to also bind the nation. And so my proposal, and you've heard me talk about this before. Welcome, Montana Light just jumped on. We've, I've told people before, I've talked about this before, is to reinvigorate the Pledge of Allegiance. 
to make the Pledge of Allegiance be a bigger part of our lives, whether it means saying it as a family. I've, I've seen someone propose, I think it was on the Internet, that we all start saying it in public uh, events, but there aren't going to be public events for a while. I think the President of the United States, when we sort of get to a certain point, it'd be great if he said the Pledge of Allegiance on camera. There you go, 31 words. Thank you for someone in the comments. You know, but bring the Pledge of Allegiance because think about it, and we'll talk about it. I'm going to do some more research. It's, it's, here's why. One is if you listen to the words, read the words, they've got great feeling. They've got great um, uh, emotion as well as facts. And they tie us to the flag. They tie us to an image. You know, you say the Pledge of Allegiance and you think of the flag and the colors and all the grandeur and all. But the second thing is, if we're all saying the Pledge of Allegiance, it becomes part of our mantra, becomes part of our uh, world together and becomes part of who, where's Gwen joined? Thanks for joining Gwen. Becomes part of who we are. And so there is a power in repetition. You know, there's a power in when you, when you study why uh, and how religious traditions you did, did singing and chanting and took the Psalms, for example, or took various parts of the scripture. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that the community would say them together and it would become or responses to prayers become part of who they are. Well, we need a coming together that binds us in that way is my, my sense. And I think the Pledge of Allegiance has a historical tie that's wonderful. It's got all the right kind of teaching tools. And if we can reinvigorate the Pledge of Allegiance at the center of our lives, I think it could be a powerful kind of part of building on this momentum. And then, frankly, there'll be other things we'll be looking for. There'll be other aspects of what's happened to us that we'll be looking for that will be a part of uh, this coming out, this great restart. So that's my pitch. So I want to I wanna ask you, if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, if you're looking on Periscope, uh, send me, and you can email me, ed at, at, uh, excuse me, ed at edmartinlive.com, ed at edmartinlive.com. You can email me directly. You could text me. A lot of folks like to text 314-256-1776. But tell me what your most uh, vivid experience, memory of the Pledge of Allegiance is. And so let me know what your, uh, what you, our, sorry, I'm checking to see how long. I don't want to get yelled at for going too long on the radio segment um let me know your most vivid pledge of allegiance experience your memory first memory best memory i know uh, some of my friends that are military guys they remember where they were uh when they did the pledge of allegiance on a ship one guy was over in the mediterranean on a float um so there's lots of memories send them to me i'll probably talk about some of them on the air but think about that idea because what you need to know is we need to come together that's true but we need to use the tools the, 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 at our disposal, the aspects of our being together that will bind us. And the Pledge of Allegiance can be one of those. All right, we'll take a quick break here on the radio. It's Ed Martin on the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. My old friend, uh, Dr. Ted Malik, and tedmalik.com is the web- website. Don't forget his Malik has a C-H on the end, not a K. If you go there, you go the wrong place. He had a piece we didn't talk about the last time I spoke to him, but I need to bring him back. He has a lengthy piece, the title of which is called Infrastructure Next. Infrastructure Next. And when I say it's lengthy, it's not just a sort of straight-up column like you sometimes, uh, well, you'll see Ted Malik do in different places. It's over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. I'll put it up on social media. But his point here, which is one I've been saying, 
and I have been exchanging emails with him is if we're going to do something to try to have this great pause turn into a great restart, one of the things we do need is infrastructure. And, and, and so his proposal goes through how to do this. So for, first, welcome, Ted, Dr. Ted Malik. How are you, sir? Uh, it's great to be with you again and uh, to talk about one of my favorite subjects. So first, let me say to you, how do you, you know, you're, you're a smart guy, economist guy and a business guy and written all these books and all and businesses. How do the average voter out there and the citizen says, holy cow, we're spending so much money. Can we afford mm-hmm. to spend more? How can we afford to spend more? Well, it, it is a legitimate question because we, we seem to be giving money out like heli- from a helicopter. And I, I, I am basically a physical conservative, so I'd like to know that this was all, all going to be um, you know, rationalized. But it, we are in a very unusual, once in a lifetime, maybe once in a century, uh, economic pandemic that could have led to a depression. So we're trying to fix that. And I, I believe... I mean, maybe not quite adequately yet, but there's another bill that's just being passed. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to keep things afloat, and um, that looks like it's the case. So my argument, uh, which actually goes back uh, even before the the virus, was that the mm-hmm. president, who is a builder after all, by profession, I got uh, famous on BBC TV by referring to Donald Trump as Donald the Builder just like uh, the cartoon builder and yeah, so yeah. he would he would be remembered for you know in fact uh, not making america great but basically for rebuilding the country so this is an opportunity it is actually a fairly bipartisan argument uh, we need a massive infrastructure redevelopment in the united states uh, and i think that if it came now you know, in the order of a trillion, even more, uh, we could boost the debilitating uh, coronavirus effect on the economy. So the cost of money is very low, um, given the interest rates. Perhaps we should just uh, jump at and grab this, uh, I would say, novel opportunity um, and um, take the bull by the horns and rebuild the country. I think that Trump is, is in favor of this, but we should do it a different yeah. way. And that's what I'm arguing. Yeah, that, and this is what I, this is important because I, I I was telling you this, and you 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 said I emailed you about how I I knew from my experience in in state government, I was chief of staff to governor that, and I knew from friends in government in Missouri state government they had stopped a bunch of projects that were to start in the summer road projects because the gas tax, which is what they rely on for money for the the MoDOT Missouri's Department of Transportation, it would dried up as everybody stopped. Literally, that's how it works. The, the gas tax comes in, they use it to pay for roads, and so and they, and they do run that sort of they run that close to the to the line but uh and you were saying yeah that's fine that's a good idea that's a good project but i think the most important thing on this is not even the financing actually and you called it trump bonds there's lots of things but it's doing it differently in other words we had a stimulus years ago we have had infrastructure and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like another boondoggle it's not really like what would we have to do ted to pass this bill and have them be building like Three weeks from now, instead of thirteen months from well, now, which is what happens with all the envir- already, environmental uh, checks and well, everything we else. Need, we really need to take a look at this and and really uh, 
uh, overhaul it from a financial, regulatory, and political point of view. I mean, we all know we need. I'm mean, going to give the statistics ad infinitum about our physical infrastructure, the state that it's in. So we need a massive reinvestment, but it can't be business as usual. It can't be another boondoggle, as you say. It can't be a Democrat giveaway, which is what they typically do. Just put money in the hands of the you know crony mayors and governors. Uh, we can't have it bogged down in this kind of bad management and cost overruns, bridges to nowhere kind of uh, politics. What we really need to do is to think of in- infrastructure not that's operated by the government any longer, but a user pay system that's properly maintained, that the roads, the bridges, the waterworks, the power systems, all the airports, everything else, even 5G in the future, is done on this economic principle. And the best way to do that is to reconceive the financing and the management. And basically, this is going to be controversial, I realize it is to end tax-exempt financing. Huh. Well, that is kind of... So what's the... um What's the biggest objection to that? Who's your biggest opponent on that one? Well, the the opponents tend to be the establishment because they like right. uh, to be in control of these things. They like to give the, uh, the you know the the bennies to their buddies and their cronies and the people that have given them campaign contributions. They really are not doing this on an economic basis. It is a political boondoggle. I mean, ninety percent of all the infrastructure in the United States today is built by state and, and local uh, uh, governments. And uh, what we need to do is change that and really put private capital at work and, uh, and, and, and enlarge the pool of capital that's available and get rid of these market distortions such that we will get vast new sources of capital and it will be put to work to deploy infrastructure where it's most needed. Uh, so this is a very big rethinking, but it should be something that we take up. I uh, also argue that these Build America bonds should be renamed Trump bonds because I know he likes that kind of thing. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. It might get his attention because uh, this article was and is being read in the White House, I can tell you. Uh, there are people there that are discussing this very article. So I call it infrastructure so would... on a bipartisan basis yeah. as the jet engine, really, to relaunch our crippled corona economy. So the change on this, Ted, to, put, to back up for us, we're talking with Ted Malik, and again, I'll put the piece up. It's on Am Greatness, American Greatness, amgreatness.com. To, to, to dumb it down for a guy like me, the difference here would be you'd sell these bonds, these American bonds, and the way you'd sell them uh, would be, it would take the work out of the local and state governments in the sense that, or the, you'd get the, the other investors would want to come in, right? Because they, because the bonds would be worth more? Is that why? Oh, there's a... Yeah, there's great interest in America. I mean, first, it's a dollar-based asset, so that in the present world economy, the dollar is, of course, a haven, a safe haven. It's also, you know, uh, it's going to be rational projects that actually uh, work and and pay, you know, user-based. And and, uh, there's a lot of capital, both in the United States, so, you know, that's the first point, but then around the world that wants to actually take this opportunity. It's a huge opportunity. And if we do this right, uh, it it, it could come off, uh, I mean, just like, you know, uh, as staggering uh, because we can change the whole makeup of this country to be competitive in the 21st century. 
Yeah, well, and you know, one thing I, I, I like about your piece, uh, again, we're talking Ted Malik, and go to tedmalik.com and l- look on my social media for his article, which I'll put up there, was, uh, and I think this is very important, coming out of this period, we need to restart in a way that takes uh, a different approach. So we're going to have to uh, not just eliminate regulations, that's what every conservative says, but think to ourselves, even in some way, let, for this period of time, we're going to actually just let people go. We're going to remove liability, for example. We're going to take some of these penalties penalties out so that people can actually go for it. We may put them back in or at least argue about it later uh, some other time. But for the next 18 months, say, hey, if you want to supercharge your way out of this great pause, you've got to get some of the underbrush cleared out. I think that's an important part of this. I think the Trump administration wants that. I think, you know, the the, the, the worst thing that ever happened was Pelosi winning the House because the drag she is on uh, on real change is a problem. It, it is hard. There is bipartisan interest. Uh, I mean, I know certain senators um, on the Democratic side are very keen. They would probably want, uh, you know, a halfway measure in what I'm proposing. But maybe we could push them if McConnell, I know Senator Imhoff, if I could mention him, is very excited about this. So we have so under-invested in American infrastructure. I mean, that's a great short-sightedness, you have to say. So as long as our uh, taxpayer investment in infrastructure is misaligned with politics, and Republicans are just as guilty of some of this cronyism. So, you know, let's call right. it out where it is. Uh, we have a short-term and expedient kind of focus, and we don't meet our long-term needs as a great American country. And that's where we want to be. We want to position ourselves. And the way to do that is to use the private sector. Uh, and, yeah. we, you know, right. I break new ground on how to do that, what the sources of that financing might be. And I, and, and I think that it's exciting Trump needs to get behind this to push infrastructure as the fourth leg, in a sense, in the plan to recover from coronavirus. Yeah. All right. Ted Malik, as always, it is fascinating and you're always uh, smarter and ahead of a lot of people. So we'll take a look. Ted Malik, thank you. I got to run. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. And our next guest is our old friend John Schlafly. He is one half of the Schlafly Report, which issues every week. Started by his late mother, and she did a weekly column for uh, decades and decades. And uh, John and his brother Andy Schlafly do it. It posts over at townhall.com and is available archived at phyllisschlafly.com, all of his writings. So welcome back, John. How are you? I'm, I'm great, Ed. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And I want. were, were, were you born in Illinois? Yeah. Sure, I was. So, so, and so now your column this week, which is don't bail out the shutdown states. I, I don't know what that means, except I think it's a kind of self, like a self-hatred against Illinois. You don't want to bail out your own home state. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, of course, Illinois, <laughs> uh, you know, we, the, the virus has been most difficult on people with underlying conditions, as we know, comorbidities. Right. Well, yeah. the state of Illinois... Yes. As a state, you might say, had an underlying condition, a comorbidity. It was about to go bankrupt before the virus hit. And, uh, right. you know, it's kind of like, uh, so, so no, I don't think that they should be, because for one thing, the, bail, the bailout discourages the uh, state from reopening the way they should. The president's laid out a, a 
a very modest and realistic plan to get started on phase one of reopening. And, and we find that Democrats in states and cities are resisting that. And uh, uh, we've got to get back to work across the country, Ed. Well, and we're talking with John Schlafly, and, and I was teasing him about his column, but the column is, uh, is the title again is Don't Bail Out the Shutdown States. I think it's a better way to say it, John. Some of these states that are, uh, that are maybe, uh, well, they're mostly run by the, the Democrats and the left, have run themselves into the ground. Now they're going to use the coronavirus uh, problem as their reason to say, oh, no, bail us out. We have, you know, we have, Illinois has you know, tens of billions of dollars in pension liabilities they never paid, and, and they promised to their people, and they, someone's going to have to, same thing with California. Uh, the, you know, there was a period, John, where where it looked like the roaring economy of Trump was so strong it was helping mask some of those uh, liabilities in those states. Their investments were doing so well, things were turning a corner. But John, is it um, what? What is it that what happens if a state like Illinois goes bankrupt? I mean, who loses then? Uh, is it the everybody who's owed by Illinois? But is that mostly at this point uh, kind of workers and pensions? Do you have a sense? I don't mean I don't mean down to the dollar, but who, who gets who loses when they declare bankruptcy? Because that's what they'd have to do. Well, first of all, Ed, I you know technically I don't think a state can go bankrupt. Bankruptcy is covered under federal law for corporations and including municipal corporations, but not states. And uh, if a state was un, is unable to pay its bills when they come due, uh, they simply have to issue script or IOUs or not pay people. That's what would happen. But I don't think a state can enter, you know, bankruptcy proceedings in a federal court. That would violate our Constitution, I believe. Okay. You say what happens, the people who don't get paid, well, and and we not only have over uh, tremendous pension obligations in Illinois and several other Democratic-led states, but uh, I think there was a court ruling in Illinois that <clears throat> that prohibited the states from, uh, you know, refusing to pay those pensions or delaying payments or giving the right. pensioners a haircut. So it's really a tough situation. I don't know what would happen. Well, I mean, one thing one thing that could happen, I mean, we could run the scenarios. One thing that could happen is if you can't pay your bills and you're a state government, you could raise taxes. You, you know, you'd be run out of office the next time through, but you could raise taxes. You could cut you could cut spending. You could say, OK, we're going to stop doing seven gazillion uh, social service projects and pay the thing. I mean, there are there. That's the, that maybe that's one of the things I, I wanted to push towards is there. There's a there's a number of choices that they that the the Democrats and the media and, and others will say, oh, you can't do that. Well, you know, maybe you can't fund. Uh, all the kinds of things you want to if you're if you're Illinois, you know, funding, you know, two thirds of your spending up in Chicago. But, John, let me get back to the column here against John Schlafly. Um, your sense of the return to uh, normal, the new normal, but the reopening. Um, what what what's your what's your, what are you feeling now? Last week we talked about it, too. But what are you feeling now in terms of how fast that can come? Well, it will vary across the country and it will and even within states, it will vary you know, even in New York State, there's vast stretches of upstate New York that are perfectly ready to get going with phase one of the reopening right now, today. And they should yeah. be allowed to do that. And that means, uh, you know, pretty soon in the near future uh, that we would carefully start to reopen even restaurants. 
uh, to come onto the premises and dine. Uh, the restaurant people, it's very sad how the entire industry has been destroyed just in just a month. And that's yeah. got to be helped. Uh, well, because well but we, John, but, we John, but, learn, but more, John, more people are learning that, you know, slowing, you know, flattening the curve does not mean, you know, there's no way to protect people from eventually becoming infected. Uh, we're just going to have to live with that. The vast majority of people will get the virus but not get sick, it appears, from the way studies are coming out. And a small number of people who have comorbidities will become sick, and we have to care for those people. But we can't just shut down the whole country for them. Well, and but John, I, I, and I'm, I think it was on the air. Maybe it was. Maybe it was not. Maybe it was you and I talking off the air. But one thing that's going to change is, I mean, you and I. The next time we're in the same place, are we really going to go out to dinner at the same restaurants with eighty other people in the room? Probably not, right? Just to, so to your point, it's not like we're going to restart. Uh, you know, the minute we're all going to go back to what we were three months ago. That's another one of these problems. To me, that's one of the reasons why we need to be more in, in more of a hurry because no one's going to actually jump. No one's going to a baseball game next weekend. They're, they're just not, not for a long time, right? So, But we ought to get back towards directionally towards uh, things. Uh, John, how do you think the president's uh, doing with these? Uh, you, I know you call the must-see TV, the, uh, the fireside chats, the, the press conferences. Tell me your impressions on that and, and how you think he's sort of grown into that role. Well, I think the people who watch the daily briefing are very, very impressed and pleased with what they see and hear. Unfortunately, uh, millions of Americans are not watching them, and they're all listening to CNN instead. And, the po- <laughs> right. and as a result, in fact, a new poll came out today that uh, you know majority of the American people do not believe they're getting good information from President Trump. Of course, you know they're not listening to him. They're li- they're right. listening to the wrong people, and that's a problem that's got to be overcome when the as the campaign goes on. Uh, it is it is amazing that those those polls. Although I, I don't know whether the polls uh, you know matter much, especially when they go sort of talk about uh, politics of the races. But um, but I do think you know, John. How do you how do you tell people? Uh, how do you think about it? I know in the column, you have John Schlafly and his column is over at uh, phyllisschlafly.com archive talking about don't bail out the shutdown states. But how do you measure or, or talk about the risk? You mentioned it. Some people are going to get sick and some people are going to get die. And we have to be sort of willing to say that, right? We have to be, I mean, it's different than when we had to uh, send our, our young men to war. We knew when they got on the plane, some didn't come back. Almost all of them did. I mean, you know, the percentage by percentage, they came back. But, you you know, you knew that. It's just a harder thing now to explain to people you're taking a risk. And and my concern, John, is that people feel like, OK, I've done everything I'm supposed to. Now I can go out and it'll be pretty good. And I think there'll be just sickness, right? I mean, this is life. And uh, how do you think we can manage that problem, the, the gap between what people feel, I want to go back and get things going, and what is probably the basic reality? Um, there's, I mean, that's there's the no question, way that a hard and fast rule can be imposed on the whole country on issues of that kind. We've got to have right. a certain amount of tolerance, I think, for individual choice about this, and the people who are who are ready to go to use the public parks, uh, to mm-hmm. to go on the beaches. Uh, uh, you know that there's no reason why that can't be done now. Uh, certain types of restaurants, if people stay far enough apart from each other, should be able to reopen. Uh, restaurants, unfortunately, a lot of 
especially the more moderately priced restaurants, depend on having on serving a crowd. And yeah, uh, that's right. And it's not viable financially unless they can serve a lot of people every day. And right. they may reopen, but they won't be able to pay their bills unless they can serve a large crowd every day for lunch. And that's, right. I don't know how to solve that. No, that's the problem. I think that's a problem. It's another aspect of it. Well, we don't have time, John, but I mean, we go into things like education, uh, health care, how so many things are changing. I mean, who who's ever going to want to go to a doctor's appointment with eight other people sitting in the waiting room. I mean, I want to know when I can go to my appointment at uh, two o'clock and walk in and maybe see a receptionist and then go into a room. I don't want to be, vis- I don't want to sit in a, in a waiting room with a bunch of sick people. I mean, so these things are going to change all kinds of ways. They'll change, but we got to run John as always. Thank you. John Schlafly. The Schlafly report is over at townhall.com as well as on phyllisschlafly.com. We'll take another quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the pro America report. Be back in a minute. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. You would think that the government has enough to do trying to stop the spread and sale of illegal drugs and overage drinking of alcohol. But no, the Food and Drug Administration must have time on its hands because it waged an aggressive battle against milk and has just won a fight against the creamy white stuff that most of us think is pretty healthy. The FDA won a two-year battle to shut down an Amish farmer named Daniel Allgaier, who was selling fresh, raw, unpasteurized milk to eager customers in Washington, D.C. The FDA claims that unpasteurized milk is unsafe, and it was exercising its authority to stop sales of Allgaier's milk across state lines. The milk battle came to a climax after a full investigation, complete with a 5 a.m. surprise inspection and a straw purchase sting operation against Mr. Allgaier's Rainbow Acres farm. Some of Allgaier's customers have been buying his fresh milk for six years, and they accuse the government of interfering with their parental rights to feed their children. I'm particularly interested in this case because I brought up all my six children drinking raw, fresh milk. Every Saturday, I would drive to a farm about an hour away from my home in Alton, Illinois, and buy 12 gallons of raw milk and 12 dozen fertile eggs. That lasted our family for a week until the following Saturday. Nobody ever got sick. People asked me why I preferred raw milk, and my answer was, it is delicious. The taste difference between raw milk and pasteurized milk is just about as great as the difference between fresh fruit and canned fruit. I hope the government busybodies apologize to Mr. Allgaier and return to the important and necessary tasks that the government ought to be doing. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. 
and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great guests as always. Great guests as always. Thank you uh, uh, as uh, for Joanna on our team for helping to book them. And thank you to Noah, our, our great uh, technical director, manages all this stuff, gets it all together. This is a great show. I appreciate uh, the chance to do it with you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can get all these interviews. You go to edmartinlive.com and see them all in there in different places. But go get the podcast of the show, and you can click through, click through and listen anywhere you get podcasts. iTunes, Google Play. Search for the Pro-America Report, or go to theanswersandiego.com and get it there. So uh, now, a couple things I want to wrap up. I got I've got some folks that sent me some comments. I decided I'm going to start reading the comments or at least acknowledging your comments uh, on air. One of the comments was from a, a woman named uh, Marin. Uh, Marin. I've never saw that before. M-A-R-E-N. And she sent me an email in response to my wink email. And she said she posted on internet, on the internet. This is, I'll give you just a thumbnail. She said she wanted to share with me because we were talking about this. She said, I've decided that the coronavirus has unleashed a season of discovery. Truly, not to minimize the awful stuff, but I've been telling people, I'm uh, telling so many people how excited I am to declutter, a pitch, prioritize our guest sewing office and our whole house. Such a gift to myself. Goes on to say that one thing that's happened in her neighborhood is some friends of theirs across the street. She said uh, a neighbor returned with a very sweet note, two books, one of my husband's and one of mine that they had loaned to her 20 years ago. Anyway, so I, you know, that was great. Thank you, Marin, for that uh, uh, nice uh, uh, sharing in that email. And, that, and she gets that as she got that as an email from me, my daily wink email, which you can go to edmartinlive.com and sign up there and get it. Uh, but I agree with you. Some things are changing. We, we my family, uh, my wife and our four children, and I, we've never had this many days in a row where we have dinner together. And, you know, I have to come into the office a few days a week because of the work I'm doing. And I'm so I'm away a little bit. But but we have dinner every night. We set the dinner table and we all sit down and it's a change the d- dynamic. There's no running off to sports or dance or school or anything. So here's another comment on Twitter. John and Eileen, they uh, wrote on excuse me, on Facebook. Oh, here's a great idea. So uh, they were listening to our comments and my comments about how early voting and ballot harvesting and the voter fraud is a problem and a threat. And uh, she, I think it's John or Eileen, one of them, but on their, on their website, on their Facebook page they share, said this, uh, I've thought about this and we're ingenious. Why can't we do it something like this? We could create a drive-up voting system like McDonald's. You drive to your voting place to one of, and register stations with a picture of, of uh picture voting ID. Oh, you show your picture voting ID to staff. They bring your information. You sign in on a signature board uh, like you do when you're doing med, med, she says, med prescriptions. You get a voter slip. You fill it out and you give it to 20, not 25 people. All this from your car and your voting helper has a mask on and gloves, steps back to give you privacy and you're done and done. Clever idea. I mean, again, clever idea. I, I think more in person, whatever way we'd have to do it, you know, if if you show up on a site and there's a 50, um, not 50, maybe 10 uh, RVs parked there and each person goes into an RV or goes into a phone booth. I guess you don't want to go into a phone booth that other people use. I don't know. It's a good, it's a good one. But thank you uh, for that, John and Eileen on uh, Facebook. Another Facebook comment. Oh, this I got this from Carlos a couple times. It appears that on, on uh, social media and on my email, sometimes when we use Bitly, which is a uh, a web uh, a um, way to shorten um, uh, web addresses, it sometimes they seem to not be working very well. We'll I'll look at that, Carlos. I know you saw it on our Periscope Facebook page. We'll take a look 
look at that. So thank you, Carlos. That is a problem. I've heard that from others. Last thing someone said, uh, email from a listener. The only visas for immigrants that should be renewed or issued are spouse and dependent visas. Well, that's a good point. You know, the only visas of any kind that should be renewed or issued at all are the spouses. If the husband's here or the wife's here, then the other, the husband or wife should be able to stay. It could be renewed or dependents. It's a good idea. Thank you, Fern, for that. Fern uh, put that in. So the, uh, oh, I just got an email from one of you already talking about the pledge. And um, the, our family started having Independence Day celebrations in 2010 where we include the pledge. Good. I'll get our guests worry if they're late because they don't want to miss the tradition. Uh, very good. I'll talk about that again tomorrow. Thank you for that. All right. Um, Appreciate it very much. All that feedback that you all give me, it's important, and we love uh, building up uh, the um, relationship with our listeners, hearing what you're saying, help teach us right. Practical things like, hey, the link shortener you're using isn't working well. That was Carlos's point. We'll fix that. And uh, and then these other ideas, too. So thank you very much for that. All right, I don't want to forget, because I talked about it on tw- on uh, Periscope at the beginning of the show, and don't forget, at, uh, let's see, it's at 12.15 Pacific Time, uh, 3.15 East Coast time every day. You can jump on and see me do about a 15-minute Periscope, uh, the Pro-America Report and what you need to know. And I mentioned on that today that um, we had uh, uh, this question of bailing out. We heard John Schlafly talk about it. Bailing out states like Illinois and New York for the so-called coronavirus, so we need to bail them out. The bailout, as John Schlafly so aptly put it, is a bailout for a comorbidity. They were already broke, Illinois. They're just trying to use this crisis to make us pay for them. They should pay for their own fix. And the way they'll pay for their own fix is to cut their spending, manage their own budget. If they have to raise their taxes on their people, they could do it. That's their problem. Uh, and they shouldn't put that on the backs of America. You shouldn't have the people in America, in Florida, in Texas, in uh, in Montana, bail out Illinois and New York and California. And if you look closely at that, you'll see the reason why it, uh, that this looks the way it is is because in those Democrat states, they've spent wildly and haven't controlled what's going on. And it's their fault, uh, not uh, your fault, not my fault. So uh, thank you um, again to Noah for getting us together. Thank you for the listeners. For, excuse me, Noah, for getting our show together. Thank you to our listeners. And uh, we will be back tomorrow night same time on the program you can come don't forget you can go get the show as a podcast anywhere podcasts are available itunes google play but easiest is go to the answer sandiego.com and get it there so we will uh, be together tomorrow thank you be safe be well it's ed martin here in the pro america report talk to you tomorrow